Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. But more importantly, to the winner's circle, a place that we forgot how to exist in. We played a long time without Sam Darnold with bad second, third string quarterback play. No hope. Getting dominated by the Browns, Eagles, Patriots all in a row to the point where hope was almost lost. The season clearly wasn't headed towards the playoffs. The coach didn't appear to be able to do anything. Offensive line couldn't block. Receivers couldn't get open. Defense. What are they supposed to do on the field? We can't get after the quarterback. Our cornerbacks can't cover. Our linebackers are injured, depleted all over the place. But what a difference one player makes. Sam Darnold, the greatest New York Jet on this roster, comes back for the first time since week one and puts on a show for us. I think all New York Jets fans share my excitement in what we just watched, what we just witnessed. It was a party all week getting Sam Darnold back, getting cleared, finally being like, all right, this team has a chance now. We can finally see our offense on display. We can finally see what Adam Gase has to offer. The offensive line won't look so inept. We can get moving here. And it was better than imagined. I mean, we're playing one of the better teams on the on the schedule when you look at it when the season starts. Like the Dallas Cowboys, all right, they're really good. They've been annihilating bad points all season long. Dak Prescott looks like he could be poised for some sort of MVP run. But when they play the New York Jets at MetLife, they have another thing coming to them. And don't get me wrong, Dak didn't play terrible. He did have a little bit of a disadvantage there, not having Amari Cooper for most of the game, not having his two starting tackles. But when it's all said and done, we're sitting here missing Avery Williamson, C.J. Mosley, Quincy and Nunwa. We're missing Nate Hairston, Henry Anderson. It's not like we're coming into this game perfectly healthy. So I don't really want to hear too many excuses about we didn't have our offensive linemen. Well, we don't even really have an offensive line. Certainly not filled with a bunch of all pros. The only player other than Ryan Khalil who's really ever played at that level, Kalechi Osemele, is now on IR. Didn't even play in this game. So I guess you could say we went into this one a little shorthanded as well. But getting Sam Darnold back, it was the difference. And he was absolutely electrifying. He was everything we hoped he'd be and more. He came back. He wasn't rusty. He commanded the offense. He got us on the field. How many times in this game did you see a pre-snap timeout or a pre-snap penalty where Sam Darnold just didn't have the play call right, didn't know what he was doing, couldn't figure out the look, looked like, okay, he's not prepared for this. He wasn't doing that at all. Instead, he was making hot routes, adjustments, and audibles at the line of scrimmage all game long, looking totally comfortable. And he reminded us why it's fun to be a New York Jets fan, why we came into this season, a lot of us, with hope and expectations. Now, it was derailed early. We easily could have beaten the Buffalo Bills had Sam Darnold been healthy. But it's week one, and things happen. Week two, we didn't have a shot against the Cleveland Browns with what we put out there at quarterback. So they got a win there. Could have been a win. Eagles, same thing. That's a game the New York Jets could have won as they were depleted when we played them, just not as bad as us. The Patriots, that's a tough game no matter what. But when you look at this thing, it's like, yeah, I can see it. And in reality, you know how bad the roster is. What did it look like when Sam Darnold wasn't out there? Did it look like this this team had any hope at all? But then Sam Darnold comes back. And it's like, all right, we're playing good teams really well all of a sudden. So what that tells me when I look at it is if he can bring what was an absolutely abysmal offense and a terrible team, some of the worst showings I've ever seen in New York Jets history, if he can bring that team up to a 24-22 win against the Dallas Cowboys, in a mu- not a must-win game for them, but obviously something that they definitely, definitely should be able to clean up, 
on Jerry Jones's birthday, mind you. If the Jets can do that, full 180, imagine what he's going to be able to do with an already good roster. Imagine when you have one of those teams that like, yeah, the starting quarterback goes down, the Carolina Panthers, but they don't really take a step back. You know, the Jaguars, they lose Nick Foles, but they're able to plug in a guy like Gardner Minshew, who may not be the the end-all, be-all answer, but he's able to provide a spark right now. Everything doesn't just go to, you know, hell in a handbasket. But the New York Jets roster, when Sam Darnold's not out there, it can't get anything done. And you can blame Adam Gase, you can blame the offensive line, whatever you want to do, but all of those things basically were proved wrong or proved better when Sam Darnold played. So if you're imagining, like, what is this roster going to be like when Joe Douglas gets his fingerprint on it? He builds us an offensive line. He gets us some more weapons on offense, and he secures that defense with cornerbacks and maybe some pass rushers. Because if we draft well, that's not too far away. That's really what the issue is. That's why the Jets don't have depth. That's why the Jets don't have a great roster. You know, when Sam Darnold's not out there, it looks this bad because we weren't hitting on draft picks. When you're forced to pay for players in free agency, you always end up overpaying. It hurts you in the long run, and we end up in a situation like this. But he brings us up to like, okay, we're a competitive team now. Maybe it looks like we could have been going for a playoff run had he been playing healthy all season long. I'm just thinking ahead to next year, to the future, to the year after that, the year after that. Obviously, we get the excitement of watching Sam Darnold for the rest of this season. And at 1-4, and four, playoffs are not out of the picture yet. We are not mathematically eliminated, and we've played most of our hard games. We've got the Patriots coming up next on Monday Night Football. We've already played the Eagles, the Cowboys, the Browns, the Bills once, and the Patriots once, almost twice. You leave a lot of easy games in the middle of this schedule. And even towards the end, some of those teams like the Steelers may not be as good as we thought because they're not going to have Ben Roethlisberger back there. Maybe the Ravens are coming back down to earth a little bit. Maybe that's not you know, a nightmare game for us. So all of a sudden you say, if we can start stacking some wins together, anything is possible. And the Jets are currently two games back from the sixth playoff spot, which is currently held by the Oakland Raiders. We play the Oakland Raiders this year. We play a lot of those teams that are ahead of us this year in the AFC. So if we can keep stacking wins together, start with this one, anything is possible. But then moving on from that, it just looks like if we can make the roster a little bit better and, of course, stay healthier than we've been this year because this has been just injuries from hell for the first four or five weeks of the season. If we can stay healthy, this is going to be a good roster. And we felt it all along. We knew that we were just a couple, you know, a couple good drafts away, a couple good signings and and hitting on some players. But Sam Darnold, he is going to be the answer for us. I'm sure of it. I was sure of it before, but I'm even more sure of it now because I just saw what he did with this roster, how different of a team we looked. I've never seen a player make that much of an impact, just completely useless. Even when Tom Brady goes out, it's not completely useless. The Saints without Drew Brees are not completely useless. He's a great quarterback. You know, the Eagles without Wentz, the Giants without Manning, the Steelers without Roethlisberger, the list goes on. You can find these teams. They're not useless. We looked really freaking bad. And then we looked really good because of one single player. And he excited everybody on the team and everybody had a little bit of hope back. And it was a trap game for the Dallas Cowboys. You can say whatever you want about it, make excuses here and there. But that was a huge impact that he had on this game and on this team. And we have him back for the rest of the year. Hopefully, fingers crossed, nothing else happens. So we can rest on that and enjoy the rest of the season because it's going to be a lot of fun moving forward. Over are those dark days that was the beginning quarter of this season. The second quarter is going to be a lot better. And I'm telling you, that third quarter, that is going to be, that's going to be a fun time. I hope that our record's in a good place for that because we got some easy games and I'm looking forward to picking on some of the weaker links. But all that uh, optimistic nonsense talk aside, let's get into this episode. I got a, a fun one this week. You know, it's been a long time since he did one like this, and we have Sam Darnold back, so this is a game that's definitely worth talking about. We're going to do 
the standings of the AFC East really quick. We're going to talk about the injuries on the New York Jets because there are some that need to be talked about. This team is, you know, we looked good this week, but we're going to look a lot better when we get more players back. We're going to do a recap of the game against the Dallas Cowboys, do a little what's on tap at the cooler. We're going to go over team stats, player performances, going to pick some stars of the game. I haven't done that all year, but this week, I mean, you got to pick some stars. There's too many guys. I got a list of like 15 guys that could have been eligible for star of the game, but you have to pick somebody. And so, uh, you know, I got three that I'm pretty comfortable with. We're going to do a father time. Dave Burnham, father, also super excited about this win. I got a nice little excerpt from him. Going to share that one later. And then we're going to close it out with a Patriots preview because, you know, we got that big game coming up Monday night football. It's time to kick some ass over there and really get this season kicking. So before I officially begin, I need to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it, whatever platform you're on. You also can find this podcast at gangreennation.com, which is part of SB Nation. It's an absolutely awesome fan site for the New York Jets, probably the best site around. There's constant articles being posted. The guys that put in stuff, they're really good. They know what they're talking about, and uh, there's a great source for information, and you know the comment sections of that gets absolutely wild, so get into that as well. Uh, you can comment on these episodes, whatever. I appreciate any positive feedback that you do give. And uh, feel free to engage with me on Twitter, at Jets underscore Dan. I'm always happy to talk New York Jets, you know, wherever you can reach me. Okay. So I wanted to go over the standings really quick. We know that the Patriots are dominating this division right now. They're 6-0 after winning against the Giants this week. Buffalo's doing really well. They're currently the number one wildcard team with a 4-1 record. Second spot's occupied by the Oakland Raiders, 3-2. you got some other teams that are up there, too. You know, the Indianapolis Colts are 3-2. Believe it or not, the next team after that in the eighth spot, Cleveland Browns, 2-4, and, and they don't look very good. The Jacksonville Jaguars, 2-4, we play them. Denver Broncos, 2-4. They're on a little bit of a hot streak right now. We'll see what happens this Thursday night against the Kansas City Chiefs. That'll be a tough game that could set them back a little bit. Pittsburgh Steelers are 2-4. and four. They got an injured quarterback. LA Chargers are 2-4, and four, but I'm not really buying into them too much right now. Tennessee Titans are 2-4. and four. That's kind of a messy show over there, too. They're switching quarterbacks right now because they can't get anything going with Marcus Mariota. Then you got the Jets behind that at 1-4, and four, and I know you're thinking to yourself, 1-4, and four, that's ridiculous. There's no way this team has a shot at the playoffs. But when you look at the teams ahead, I mean... Tell me which one of these teams you think absolutely deserves to be in the playoffs right now because they, you got wildcard teams looking like Buffalo Bills, Oakland Raiders, Colts, Browns, Jaguars, Broncos, Steelers, Chargers, Titans ahead of us. And there's not one of those teams that I'm convinced is going to win 10 games, 11 games. It's going to go on some huge run and take this thing over. There's a lot of those teams that have chinks in the armor, almost every single one of them. The Bills is probably the strongest one. That's a team that we lost to already. We'll play them again. Perhaps a beautiful redemption tour for Sam Darnold to get back up there and uh, show him what he's really capable of when he's feeling healthy. As you get there, the rest of the AFC East is uh, just the Miami Dolphins. They're 0-5, a winless team. Really, just a really bad team. We get to play them twice. They lost to the Redskins. The Redskins are just awful. We play the Redskins this year. The Redskins look like one of the worst teams by far in the league, and they find a way to lose to the Miami Dolphins pretty soundly. Josh Rosen gets benched, so it's kind of a mess down there. We got some games ahead of us. Let's just focus on this right now. Focus on beating the Cowboys because that was a great win. Look at the Patriots and figure out how we can beat them. But then kind of know that later on in this season, it's going to it's gonna get a little spicy. Moving to the injuries of the New York Jets. There are some right now. We got Sam Darnold back this week. We got Jordan Jenkins back this week. Brandon Copeland came back from suspension. Quinn and Williams now appears to be fully healthy. But we got some more injuries to talk about. Kelechi Osemele. He's got a shoulder injury, he's getting surgery, and he's got a season-ending IR. We will not be seeing Kelechi Osemele again, and he was a guy that we were excited to get on the New York Jets. He had a decent-sized contract that was going to be a little bit to take on, but he was going to be a definite improvement at left guard over uh, James Carpenter. 
Unfortunately, he hasn't really played that well this year. Not sure how much the injury has to do with that, but he's been replaced recently by Alex Lewis, who's been playing really well. Some of the best offensive line we've seen all year has been coming from that left guard position when Alex Lewis is in there. So at this point in time, it looks like maybe it's not the end of the world to lose Kalecchio Semele. You never want to lose a good player, and then obviously you lose a little bit of depth there too because your backup Alex Lewis is now pushed to that starting role. we got to find somebody to back him up. But I think with Tom Compton in the mix, we still have a little bit of depth there, and I'm not too worried about it. Herndon, he didn't play this week. He was uh, coming back from suspension, but he had a, a little bit of a hamstring pull, wasn't able to play this week. He's been moved back onto the active roster. To get him, we waived Frankie Luvu, who was a guy that a lot of people liked. He showed a little bit of promise last year. He just turned 23 years old, so he's super young. If he can clear waivers, I wouldn't be surprised to see the New York Jets get him back onto the practice squad, maybe give him a little pay boost or something like that, try to keep him on this roster, because I do believe that he's still got some left to offer, especially being as young as he is. I don't think that he's a terrible player. I think that he's got you know, some real NFL skill, and he's got some ability to get after the quarterback and play aggressively. But with the way Terrell Basham's been playing this year, with Brandon Copeland coming back, and having Jordan Jenkins on the other side, who is our best edge rusher, our best pass rusher on the team, you know, you kind of get to like, all right, Frankie Luvu, when you got to make room for Herndon, who's more important, maybe he's one of those guys to go. He's really not playing many snaps at all at this point in the season. But perhaps it's going to be to help, you know, keep him on that practice squad if another team doesn't pick him up. Yeah, C.J. Mosley, he's a guy that everybody's been looking for since week one when he went down against the Buffalo Bills. He's still injured, but he hoped to practice this week. And if he can practice this week, there's a possibility that he plays against the New England Patriots. And what... I mean, what a big deal that would be. If we could get Herndon back, who's still, you know, day-to-day, move back onto the active roster, but we don't have a great update. And if we can get Mosley back, I mean, you're talking about a big, a big difference in talent on the field. You're talking about getting two of your better players back. Probably your best defensive player other than Jamal Adams. Maybe just as good as Jamal Adams in C.J. Mosley. And then, you know, arguably Sam's best weapon is Chris Herndon. So if you can get him back, that's going to be a... It's going to be a big deal for us. Now, this week against the Dallas Cowboys, we saw Albert McClellan come in when Neville Hewitt went down for a little bit. McClellan got a concussion. He's currently week to week. Looks like Neville Hewitt's fine. He ended up coming back into the game when uh, McClellan had to go out. So I would assume that Neville Hewitt's going to be okay moving forward. Kelvin Beecham, he had an ankle injury, got an MRI right now. He's considered week to week. We just moved in this game when that happened. We slid... uh, Brandon Shell over to the left side for the first time. We have Chuma Adoga on the right side, and that's kind of what we're going to be rolling with right now, at least until Beecham's back. I think that regardless of the injury, it's kind of the direction that the Jets were, were sort of heading because Beecham's been playing poorly, and they've been trying to cycle Adoga into that tackle mix. Nate Harrison, hard to find any information on this guy. Nobody talks about him as if he's not, like, a super important part of this team right now. He appears to be, when he plays, arguably the best outside cornerback we have. You know, Brian Poole's probably playing the best cornerback, but then I've really loved what I've seen from Nate Hairston. Now he's injured, unable to play, and I don't really know why. Uh, consider him week to week right now. Hopefully we can get him back against the Patriots and get some information. Fortunately, people that are uh, getting interviews and, and opportunities with Adam Gates just aren't asking that question and giving us the information. I think that uh, he's going under the radar a little bit, and he shouldn't be because he was playing really well for us. Henry Anderson, he's a sprained shoulder joint. He's considered week to week probably right now. Not exactly sure what that means. I believe it's called an AC joint. Hopefully that's going to get resolved soon because he's one of our better players, but we really have found some good depth on the defensive line. So as good as Henry Anderson is, it is a position that we can withstand a couple blows. You know, we were able to do it with uh, Quinn and Williams for a little bit with Steve McClendon and Foley playing, but now Quinn and Williams is back. You mix him onto the line with a healthy Leonard Williams. You've got Kyle Phillips who's playing well. Foley Fadikasi had a huge game. 
And uh, it's not a position that you're like, we got to get desperately our defensive line back. But it would obviously be nice to have Henry Anderson back on the field. And then Trenton Cannon, he's probably uh, week to week as well. He had a foot ankle injury and he wasn't able to practice at the end of last week. He probably uh, will be you know, slowly worked back in when he's feeling up to it and able to run full speed again. In the meanwhile, expect Vincent Smith to continue kick returns, and that's really all Trenton Cannon was doing other than gunning on special teams. He was gunning and returning kicks, so he's not getting handoffs. He's not involved in the offense one bit. It's hard, hard enough to get Ty Montgomery on the field. Trenton Cannon is, you know, way down there, and uh, we're not missing too much having him out. The team seems to like Vincent Smith since he's been on it, so that's what we have for injuries. Now we're going to get into a game recap of what was most definitely the greatest game we've seen in almost a full calendar year. Sam Darnold comes back, and in this game, we know we have to get some points with Sam Darnold. We haven't gotten touchdowns really at all. We had one with Vincent Smith since Sam Darnold left in week one, and that was it. We had an end-around touchdown, rushing touchdown to a brand-new acquired wide receiver, and that was all our offense could do. The rest of our touchdowns came from Arthur Wallette on special teams, a pick six by Jamal Adams, and a pick six by C.J. Mosley in week one. Other than that, scoreless in terms of touchdowns. Really bad stuff. This week, Sam Darnold gets off to a hot start. Instantly, he starts throwing the ball way deeper than we've seen Luke Falk throw in his entire time as quarterback for the New York Jets. Starts with a quick pass to Demarius Thomas, and right away you feel like, okay, we're back. It's right here. It hit you that quick. It was the first play of the game. And right away you said, there it is. This is what we've been waiting for. As the game continues on, Sam Darnold shows more and more pocket presence, moving around, finding open receivers. He gets a completion to seven different receivers on this team, spreading the ball around. All of our starting receivers has have uh, four or more catches in this game. Our Chris Herndon filling at tight end. Ryan Griffin, he has three. So Sam Darnold is finding people all over the field. He's finding them downfield. We're getting, you know, high yards per play, and the offense is starting to look a little explosive. So we start the game unable to score on the first drive. We stop the Cowboys, get the ball back. The New York Jets score first. Touchdown in the second drive with a rush to Le'Veon Bell as we get within the two-yard line, and Bell put, punches it in from there. So instantly, all right, first quarter, the Jets already have seven points. Now, for the beginning part of the game, the Cowboys are really only able to get field goals, and a lot of them are long ones. The first one comes on a 50-yarder. The second one, right before the half, a 62-yard field goal. So don't give me that nonsense of, like, well, the Cowboys were getting stuck getting field goals instead of touchdowns, and the Jets got lucky in this one. It's like, come on, your points were coming from 62-yard field goals? That's ridiculous. You're not even close to scoring at that point. You're at, like, midfield kicking a field goal. Don't act like you're getting in scoring position into the red zone time after time. It did happen a few times, and... This is one of the best parts of the game. It's third and one within the 20-yard line in the red zone for the Dallas Cowboys. Ezekiel Elliott gets obliterated. Foley Fadakasi punches it through, knocks him down in the backfield. The Dallas Cowboys, instead of kicking a field goal since they're down in the game, decide to go for it. And what does Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator, decide to do? A terrible quarterback run to the outside left side for Dak Prescott. This is a super slow-to-develop play, and Dak Prescott is not going anywhere fast. Quinn and William gets over there. Topped off with a little Jamal Adams punch, and boom, New York Jets get a fourth down stop at the 8-yard line. Very next play, 92-yard touchdown bomb to Robbie the Sun God Anderson. It was the second longest pass play in New York Jets history. The only longer pass ever, 1985, Wesley Walker, a 96-yard touchdown from Ken O'Brien. Wesley Walker's a great receiver. You got Robbie Anderson getting a 92-yarder on the Dallas Cowboys in Sam Darnold's return right after stopping them on fourth down in the red zone. It was poetic. 
It was exciting. It was the loudest I've screamed and honestly, I can't even remember. And most importantly, it gave the Jets a 14-3 lead against the Dallas Cowboys late in the second quarter. Now the Jets stopped the Cowboys again, get the ball back, and under two minutes, lead a drive all the way down the field on this Dallas Cowboys defense, passing it to none other than Ryan Griffin for two key plays, one being the final knock-it-in-there touchdown. With 27 seconds left in the first half, the New York Jets led this game 21-3. to and it was looking as good as it's ever looked for this team. Dallas Cowboys end up getting that 62-yard field goal right before the half, so they make it a 21-6 game. Still, we're feeling really good, but you never like to give up points before the half. That was kind of a bummer. Later in the third quarter, Cowboys get another field goal. This was a shorter one. They finally uh, they made it close again inside the red zone and decided this time, let's not go for it. Let's get the points like we should have the first time. Then all of a sudden, the Cowboys get a little bit of life. It seems like in the second half, they start using Ezekiel Elliott more, and he looks pissed off. He's hitting the hole harder than he was in the first half, and he's getting big-time yardage play after play, five yards, six yards. And remind you, this is a seventh-ranked defense against the rush in the NFL so far this season. We've been giving up like 83 rushing yards a game. Dallas Cowboys do much better than that against us. And Ezekiel Elliott, you know, his yards per, per attempt weren't great, 3.8 in this one, but they ran the ball, or the whole team was 3.8 yards per rush. But they ran the ball 34 times. I mean, they were just trying to punch it down our throats in that second half. And for a bit of it, we let them. But when it came down to it, they were able to get one touchdown. But the New York Jets got the ball back in the fourth quarter with about six minutes to go. And instead of being a typical New York Jets team and just trying to run the ball out, let's just get to the end of the game. Let's hope that our defense can stop them and run the ball, get as much time off the clock as possible. Adam Gase is aggressive, and Sam Darnold is throwing, and he's finding nice deep throws to Demarius Thomas and Jamison Crowder to move the ball down the field, get the New York Jets into kicking range, and Sam Ficken, the guy that, you know, we, we didn't know we'd ever have a kicker solved on this team, he comes in in what's an extremely clutch moment for him. Uh, by far, this is the toughest kick, the most pressure he's had on him, maybe in his career. He kicks it, it's good. The New York Jets have an eight-point lead. The Cowboys get the ball back. They move the ball down the field, and uh, they end up scoring a rushing touchdown with Dak Prescott. They have to go for two. So one play for the Dallas Cowboys. they got to get two yards to tie this game up. Greg Williams dials up a little pressure, and with who? None other than his best player on the field, Jamal Adams. He masks his blitz well. Offensive line doesn't know what's coming. Jamal Adams times his blitz perfectly. Right through the middle, untouched, goes right into Dak Prescott. Doesn't give him even a second to look and see what's happening. He gets hit right in the chest just as he lets the ball go. An, an errant throw in the direction of Jason Witten, who was covered very tightly and very well by Marcus May. The New York Jets win this game 24-22 to after... Uh, I guess it's worth mentioning that there was an onside kick attempt at the end of the game that Demarius Thomas was able to barely grab, and uh, had he dropped that, it would have made things a lot more interesting because we know that Cowboys kicker can kick 62 yards, apparently. Demarius Thomas does scoop that ball in, though, and uh, crisis averted, New York Jets win. First win of the season. Welcome back, Sam Darnold. This team is excited as it's ever been, and we all are. And this whole week has been better, and this Monday was better. Today is better. The podcast is better. Life is good when the New York Jets win. And the Jets win when Sam Darnold plays. Now, I did fail to mention that that Sam Darnold did get within the red zone with the New York Jets and actually threw an interception that was uh, one of his worst throws of the game. He did have a couple throws that weren't quite there, and no quarterback plays a perfect game. He made a couple little mental mistakes, a couple 
throws that weren't right on the money. And this was one of them. This was a throw he was trying to find, I believe, Jamison Crowder. It was just picked off and a bad decision by him, but he'll learn from it. And honestly, you know, one interception with the game that he had, he still had 113 quarterback rating. So it wasn't the end of the world. It's just you'd like to try not to get turnovers within your own red zone. Those are opportunities where you can, you know, at the very least, an incomplete pass could set us up for a field goal. You don't have to try to force anything. Try to read your coverages correctly and uh, and just give the team an opportunity to get some points because it's only going to make it easier on you in the long run. So that is our recap of this week's victory over Dallas. And now before we move on to the team stats of this game, we're going to do a pit stop at the cooler for a little what's on tap. That's right, folks. It's what's on tap, the section where I talk about the beer that I'm currently drinking while recording this episode. And for the first time all year, we are not drinking in sorrow. We are drinking in celebration of a new York Jets victory. Today is a hazy little thing IPA brewed by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, coming out of Chico, California, and Mills River, North Carolina. I am not sure which batch I got. It tastes a little bit, uh, maybe like it's a little bit of Chico, California, perhaps, but there's no way to know for sure. This is a family-owned company operated and argued over. That is what it says in the can. So there's not a lot of information on this one, but we do know that we're drinking a 6.7% by volume alcoholic IPA. This is a tasty little beer. If you're getting into like that New England style IPA, I think this is a, a really nice, nice option because it's smooth. It is a little hazy. It's not too sweet. It's not too fruity, which some people don't like, and it's not too bitter. So it goes down pretty smooth. It's only 6.7%, so it's not as high as some of the others, but it really drinks very easily. And it's called hazy little thing. It is a hazy beer when you pour it out and take a look at it. What I like about it is a lot of, you know, it's very popular now to make a New England style IPA that is hazy. It's all about having a nice hazy yellow orangey type of beer. And people are trying to get it too opaque because that's what they're thinking hazy looks like. What they're doing is people are adding milk to their beers and you get some lactose in a beer. It's kind of a gross idea to think about and it makes the beer a little bit thicker, but it gives it that color. And that's not why it's supposed to be hazy. The haziness is supposed to come from being unfiltered. The way you'll see like some of those best beers, a, a sip of sunshine, a heady topper, a lot of those things, a treehouse beer. It has a lot of sediment in the bottom because it's unfiltered. And even on heady topper can, it tells you, make sure you drink this from the can, not a glass, because they don't want you to see the sediment that's in there because it's kind of gross. They're not filtering these things. And Sierra Nevada with this hazy little thing does a good job of making unfiltered beer that isn't hazy due to lactose or milk being added. It's thin enough, it's smooth, it's drinkable. And... Honestly, it's a nifty little beverage. I uh, I don't usually drink Sierra Nevadas. I know it's a popular brewery, but it's just to this point never really been my cup of beer. But this one, I will definitely buy it again. I don't remember the price point for it, so I couldn't tell you that. But it's nice because it's in a 12-ounce can, so you don't have to get a nice tall boy. You can just uh, you can sip on a few of these if you feel like you know being in that middle zone. Maybe you don't want to have a full one, or maybe you don't want to have two, and after one, you're like, all right, what do I do? And I've had 16 ounces of beer. These are nice because you can get a little bit more, uh, I guess, control over how much you're drinking since you're going in 12-ounce increments rather than 16. So Sierra Nevada's Hazy Little Thing IPA. Nice find. It's in a green can with some yellow, uh, I guess it's like a little, it kind of looks like a Christmas tree ornament or something. So that is what's on tap today. All right, the next order of business in this podcast episode is to talk about the team stats for the New York Jets in this game. Well, most of this game, the New York Jets were winning. All of this game, the New York Jets were winning. They didn't dominate the stat sheet. They didn't stuff this thing up. They actually had less first downs than the Dallas Cowboys. 26 first downs for the Cowboys, 20 for the New York Jets. 
Mind you, we had a 92-yard touchdown from the 8-yard line. That could have easily been, you know, a 12-play drive down the field that could have yielded six, seven more first downs. When you score in 12 seconds like the New York Jets did there, you're not going to pick up as many first downs. You're just going to pick up big chunk bomb yard plays. Third down efficiency, that was the big issue for me in this game. The Jets were 2 for 10. That needs to improve big time. 20% on third down isn't going to cut it. Sam Darnold's first game back, we're going to cut him a little slack. I think the offensive line is still working around as we're moving pieces. We've got guys shifting it at the tackle position. we got a new guy in at guard. Ryan Khalil still trying to get back to form. It did look better this week, but we got to get that better. 2 for 10, it's not going to cut it on third down. Total plays, we ran a bunch less than the Cowboys, 54 plays to 75. But our yards per play, 7.1 yards per play. That's awesome. We had 382 yards in this game on only 54 plays. Compare that to 398 yards for the Cowboys on 75 plays. They had 15 more yards on 20 more plays. The Jets were efficient in this one. Sam Darnold was making the right reads. He was finding the receivers at the right time, finding his mismatches, spreading the ball around. He wasn't predictable. He moved in the pocket, and it was a killer game. He passed for 326 total yards when you take out the sacks, the net yards there. 9.6 yards per pass for Sam Darnold. Awesome. We had one turnover. They didn't have any. That was kind of a, a bummer. It's interesting that the Jets win this game, winning the entire time, always had the lead, without forcing any turnovers. You know, this is just, we didn't need big plays. We didn't need those interceptions or fumbles or anything like that. And we did have a turnover on downs for the Cowboys that we forced. That was as big as any other turnover you can get. But we didn't get a turnover. And I think that just guys kind of goes to show how how balanced and true this victory was. It wasn't built on two or three big plays. It was built on four quarters of moving the ball effectively on offense and not giving up too many big plays to the Dallas Cowboys. Now rushing for the Jets, 2.8 yards per rush for us. We had 20 attempts, only 56 yards. It's not great, but let's keep in mind, this offense is still developing right now. And as the teams are becoming more fearful of Sam Darnold and what he can do with Robbie Anderson, Jamison Crowder, and eventually Chris Herndon, people are not going to be stacking as many in the box against Le'Veon Bell. In this game, the Dallas Cowboys basically said, we're going to stop Le'Veon Bell, Sam Darnold's going to have to beat us, and Sam Darnold did it. Le'Veon Bell didn't have a great day, as he hasn't for most of this stretch where people aren't believing in our passing game. But as this season goes on, and they realize, all right, this offense is just as good passing the ball as they are running, they take another safety back, maybe put another cornerback on the field, another DB, nickel guy, dime guy, Le'Veon Bell is going to start having some field days. His day is coming. If he stays healthy and stays on the field, his day is coming. Don't you worry. But on this one, not super efficient. Red zone attempts, though, two for three. Happy to see that. Big issue for us, 105 yards of penalties. We had eight penalties for 105 yards, and we had five accepted penalties against us on the last drive of the game for the Dallas Cowboys. That was crazy. That could have lost us the game. And it felt like the refs were trying to lose us the game. It was just illegal contact after pass interference, after pass interference, calling it on everybody. There were a couple that were, you know, maybe you can call them. Maybe Blake Cashman hit Ezekiel Elliott a little bit early. But the one on Jamal Adams, a couple of the other ones were just ticky-tacky calls that you can't be calling every single one at that stage in the game. This is one of the worst referee weekends in the entire NFL overall that we've ever seen, especially after what we saw last night on Monday Night Football. So... Maybe the Jets didn't get it as bad as some of these other teams did, but it was not good, and uh, we almost gave them a chance to win the game with those penalties. 105 yards, way too much. we got to get that number down. 
It's the pass interferences that are causing that huge, huge uh, increase. What's interesting in this one is we didn't get any, I don't think we got any penalties in this one for hitting Dak Prescott, and we were hitting him over and over. We did not get roughing the passer or uh, anything like that, you know, hitting him too low or hitting him too high or with the crown of the helmet or driving him. But we were peppering him play after play. I would not want to be Dak Prescott today right now. I'm sure he is sore. So other than that, the Cowboys beat us in time of possession, 32 minutes to 27 minutes. That's going to happen when they rush the ball 34 times to our 20 times. You know, the clock keeps moving when you rush it, and we saw the Dallas Cowboys do that. The Jets didn't have the ball for nearly as long, 54 plays to 75 plays. We were scoring faster. We were getting 7.1 yards per play. You know, when we were going, we were moving the ball down the field. They got 22 points, almost as many as we did, getting five yards of play. We were getting seven yards of play. We were doing it just faster, so they had more time on attack. That's all right. We're not too worried about it because the offense played efficient and it played well. So I think overall... The numbers don't lean heavily in the New York Jets' favor, but when you look at the efficiency of the team, other than on third down, you're pretty happy with what you saw. We just got to get a little bit better in the run game, take those penalties down, and then start working better on third down. That's what's going to keep drives moving forward. That's what's going to keep the offense on the field. And the more time we have Sam Darnold on the field, the better. Moving over to the player performances in this game, this is the first game that we've had all season where you can just say a lot of guys played really well. I mean, this was a team victory. I know I've been giving a lot of credit to Sam Darnold throughout this episode, saying that, you know, he's the reason, and sure, he is, but he really juiced up everybody, and the excitement was there. You could see that everybody was playing with a little bit more juice than they usually do when Luke Falk was on the field and guys were a little flat. We knew those games were lost causes, honestly. You don't ever want to think that, but those guys aren't going in with the same mentality that they are when they see Sam Darnold at quarterback. But everybody stepped up in this game. If we're going through players that, honestly, I think deserve a shout-out, I got a quick list here that I made that I was just like, I think these guys deserve to be recognized for having great games. And a lot of these guys I'll get into a little bit deeper, but I want to make sure that these guys definitely get mentioned in this episode and get a little bit of a moment. So, Sam Darnold, great job passing leadership taking this game over. Robbie Anderson showing us that he's a deep threat, getting five catches for 125 yards. Jameson Crowder being that security blanket, Sam Darnold's favorite target it looks like. Demarius Thomas, a trade that Joe Douglas appears to have won. We didn't get Chris Herndon back this week, but Ryan Griffin, he got us in the end zone. He had a nice first down play. The guy played pretty well. He also laid a couple nice blocks. Now these, you know, he wasn't perfect throughout the game, but he did his job at tight end, stepping in for Herndon. Happy to have him there. Le'Veon Bell, getting that touchdown back in the end zone when we needed them to. Chuma Adoga, you know, he didn't have a great game and he made some mistakes, but he's still young. He's a rookie. He's playing on that right side. And Demarcus Lawrence had a really bad game considering he's like their best defensive player other than the linebackers. Demarcus Lawrence was, I think he was held to like two assist tackles. On the other side, Brandon Shell, good work to him filling in for Kelvin Beecham at a position he doesn't usually play. Sam Darnold was only sacked twice in this game. So the offensive line overall, did a pretty good job keeping him healthy. And if you were going into this game saying, what would you rather do? Get good holes and lanes for Le'Veon Bell to run or keep Sam Darnold from getting hit, keep him upright? I think every single one of us was like, keep Sam Darnold healthy, please. And that's what they did. Alex Lewis filling in a left guard. Another good game for him. Ryan Khalil, his best game of the season. Did a really good job and had uh, really good numbers in one-on-one coverage against the defense. Special teams, Braxton Berrios, the reliable kick returner. Sam Ficken making all of his kicks yet again. The guy. Defensively, Quinnen Williams, the rookie, making his his presence felt 
getting all over the field, making some big, timely tackles, and showing why we drafted him in the first round. Jamal Adams, the star of the game, probably. This guy was all over the field and won the game for us when it came down to it. Foley Fadakasi, young defensive tackle, filling in for Steve McClendon, and, and wherever he's asked to play, he's putting in good minutes. He's making an impact for this team. Kyle Phillips, another guy, young guy, undrafted rookie free agent, and he's making an impact. He's now earned like 50% of snaps playing really well. Jordan Jenkins, our best pass rusher, comes back, and he gets the only sack for the New York Jets. Leonard Williams had his best game of the season. He was getting after it. Brandon Poole continues good coverage, and Marcus May looked good as a safety again. All of those players stood out. And I'm not trying to pick on anybody that didn't get mentioned here because there were other guys that played well and had moments in the game as well. But these guys specifically were great. So let's get into some more of the specifics about it all. And we talked about Sam Darnold having a great game. He was 23 of 32 for 338 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, and 113.8 quarterback rating. This is one of the best games he's ever played, and if you took that one interception away, it was near flawless. Now, when it came to running the ball in this game, it was mostly Le'Veon Bell again. Out of the running backs taking carries, it was Le'Veon Bell with 14, Bilal Powell with 1. Le'Veon Bell had a 3.6 yard per carry average with 50, 50 total yards, and he had that touchdown. Didn't have any huge gainers in this. He's still just consistently getting, you know, four yards. He should be getting two, he gets four. He should be getting one, he gets three. He's just getting more than you expect from him. And he's not taking him to the house. He's not getting 50 yarders, 60 yarders. He's just methodically working down the field, forward progress on almost every play. We still love what we see from him, and he got in the end zone when he needed him to. The other carry for Bilal Powell. I think it's interesting because in this game, it actually was the least snaps that Le'Veon Bell's played. He played 82% of snaps, and the lowest before that was 88% last week. So Ty Montgomery came in for 10%. Bilal Powell played 19%. So it was nice to see Le'Veon Bell in a game that... It's strange that, like, when the Jets have no chance of winning, they just pound their best player, Le'Veon Bell, until he's just, like, woozy on the field. But then when it's a game that we're actually close to winning and, and whatnot, we're not playing Le'Veon Bell quite as much. A little bit interesting, but, you know, if we can get out with a win and spell Le'Veon Bell any minutes, I think it's worth it. Save him, get him a little bit more rested, a little bit more tread on the tires for the following week. You know, and this one coming up against the Patriots, we want him to be feeling good. Now, when it came to receiving, I mentioned that seven different guys caught a pass from Sam Darnold in this game, and it was led by the big three wide receivers for this team. You're seeing Robbie Anderson, Jameson Crowder, and Demarius Thomas all getting more than 80% of snaps playing almost all plays, and they all had more than four catches. Robbie Anderson, five catches for 125 yards. That's 25 yards per catch. And we mentioned it was the second longest ever in Jets history. The longest at home, actually. Jameson Crowder, he leads the team in targets again with Sam Darnold. He did the first time with Sam Darnold. This is the second game he's played with him. Leads the team in targets with nine. He had six catches for 98 yards. It was a lot better than the 14 catches for 99 yards that he had in game one. Way more efficient. He had a nice 30-yarder in this game. Demarius Thomas, the old man pickup by Joe Douglas when Quincy Nuno went down. He had four catches in this game for 62 yards. His long was a 33. That's a pretty good game for him, considering he's your third receiver, and we didn't know if we were going to be getting really anything out of him. The other option would be, you know, Joshua Bellamy or Braxton Berrios, and Nothing against them, but I don't think they're going to be putting in four for 62 as regularly as Demarius Thomas appears that he can right now. Now, Ryan Griffin, we talked about him. He had a touchdown. He was three for three on passes to him, caught all of them for 28 yards, had that touchdown, had a big first down, and played well. 
Ty Montgomery caught three passes for 17 yards. He didn't run the ball in this game, but he was getting a little bit active in the passing game, which is good to see. Vincent Smith caught a ball for five yards. Just a quick little play to him. Le'Veon Bell only had one catch in this game. You notice that no more is it about checkdowns to the running back behind the line of scrimmage. When Sam Darnold's on the field, he's throwing it downfield to wide receivers to the tune of 338 yards. Bell is limited to three yards. So you've got 20 total yards to the running backs. That means that Sam Darnold threw 318 yards to wide receivers and tight ends. That's awesome. That's not yards after the catch. I mean, Robbie Anderson's had a lot of yards after catch, but that's not just dumping it to a running back and hoping that he picks up 30. That's not, you know, sneaky stats that are hidden. That was a really good passing performance from him. And it was great to see so many players getting involved. It's nice to see Sam Darnold getting some chemistry with each and every player, not picking one guy. Oh, I'm really going into Jameson Crowder. He did that a little bit in week one, didn't feel as confident. Now, I mean, he hasn't worked with Demarius Thomas really at all. Now he's coming back and it's like, all right, he's finding him. He's got a rhythm with Robbie going a little bit. Let's see what carries over against the Patriots. They've got some really, really good cornerbacks. They've got a good defense over there in New England. But we've got some weapons over here. And if Sam Darnold's throwing to seven different guys... They don't have seven good cornerbacks to cover. They don't have seven great players to cover. Sam Darnold will find open players, as long as he's reading the field well and looking at all of his options, which he proved to do in this game. Now, the next unit, the offensive line, when you're looking at that, they didn't create the running lanes that you'd like to see for Le'Veon Bell. He didn't have the efficiency. We didn't have the big gainers or the big gaping holes that we want to see. But when it came down to it, they did pretty well in pass pro. Everybody was saying before this game, you got to be nervous for Sam Darnold. How can you put him in in this game with the offensive line playing this badly? He's going to get killed. I'd never put him in behind that offensive line. And honestly, I said it last week, and I'll rehash it again. When this offensive line is playing with Sam Darnold as quarterback, everything looks a lot better and moves a lot smoother because Sam Darnold moves properly in the pocket. If you look at some of the highlights, he was taking really nice three-step drops, five and seven. But he also was moving up in the pocket consistently. Guys were getting around on the edge. They were getting past Chuma Adoga, getting past Kelvin Beach and Rochelle, and they were making some pressure around the outside. But Sam Darnold would step up because Ryan Khalil was holding his blocks better than usual. Alex is Lewis, Alex Lewis is doing it well. Sam Darnold was able to step up, and he was making some difficult throws, sometimes off of one foot, sometimes sliding to his right, sliding to his left, still looking downfield. And he was feeling comfortable back there. You could tell that even though he was getting pressured a little bit, he knew that he wasn't getting hit that much because he had area to move in the pocket. So the entire offensive line looked better when it's not just a guy walking seven steps backwards and then standing there for six seconds waiting to get hit. It's a guy moving, flowing within the line, finding the areas where it's open to stand, and looking downfield as he's doing it. The guy's got eyes in the back of his head, and he was seeing the rush for most of this game. Sacked twice, huge improvement over the 10 from last week, so pretty pleased with the offensive line. We may see Brandon Shell on the left side again next week if Kelvin Beecham's out. Alex Lewis appears to be a mainstay at left guard, and we're probably happy about that. We were close to saying Jonathan Harrison needs to be in for Ryan Khalil, but after what Khalil did in this game, I think you got to consider letting him start again. He looks to be getting better. Maybe he's getting back into football shape after coming out of retirement. Right guard, Brian Winters, he's whatever, he's Brian Winters. Chuma Adoga, he's having issues, I think, but if he keeps getting better, He's not playing so bad right now that he's a liability to have on the field. If he was, we could put Tom Compton in. He can play tackle. Chuma Doga is doing a good enough job where it's not awful, but he still needs to grow big time. So he's getting opportunity to play, and we'll see what kind of progression we see from him. If after six, seven, eight weeks it's not getting any better, Sam Darnold's getting hit from his side a lot, things like that, it's possible that he would get replaced. But if he can continue growing, learning, and getting better, 
It's possible that he could be the guy moving forward, and we know that we're going to need tackles. We know that Kelvin Beecham's probably not going to be there. We don't know what our options are going to be at offensive line, but we need to figure out, is Chuma Adoga going to be a starting offensive tackle for this team? Is he going to be that number one backup offensive tackle for this team moving forward? You know, one of those Brent Quails that you have for forever, or Ben Ajalana who's just there just in case. Is he going to be one of those, maybe an improvement over what they were? Or is he not even worth having on the roster? Just things you got to find out. Just, you know, not at the risk of Sam Darnold getting injured. I think right now Chuma's doing a good enough job to continue that spot. So that's player performances on offense. Moving over to the defensive side of the ball. The defense played pretty well throughout this game. We were getting huge hits on Dak Prescott without getting any sacks. So it was surprising to see, you know, less sacks than we thought with as many hits as we were getting. But at least we were getting after him. I was reading the stats here, credited with eight quarterback hits. I saw way more than eight quarterback hits. I know that Jamal Adams has one in this game on the last play of the game. He didn't appear to be credited with one. I was using ESPN for some of these stats, but let's go through this. Defensive line, I thought it was a really good game from Kyle Phillips, who had one and a half tackles for loss, seven total tackles. So big game from Kyle Phillips, the undrafted free agent. He played about half of the snaps and made them count. You also had Foley Fadakasi playing almost half the snaps, and he made an impact. He was a guy that was flashing throughout the game on big plays. You know, he did it when it mattered, and that's what you want to see. It's not about a game that you're down you know, 15, 20 points late in the game, and they're just trying to run the ball out, and this guy picks up three tackles on a drive just standing in the middle. It's not about that. It's about third downs making the stop. It's about fourth downs making the stop. Big plays getting pressure when you need to, and Foley did that all game long. Leonard Williams did that too. But in that whole defensive line, when you're looking through who stepped up the most, Quinn and Williams. I mean, he's playing against really good offensive in interior offensive line for Dallas. They have one of the best O-lines in the league, right? Keep in mind, they've got their offensive tackles out. We knew that. But they have their interior guys there. And while Quinn Williams didn't feast, he had a remarkably good day, and his presence was felt on the field time and time again, which is what you want to see from a rookie. He's not going to be amazing right away, most likely. He's probably going to, you know, hopefully be good and just continue growing until he's amazing. It looks like maybe he's on that path. Going to the outside guys, Brandon Copeland, he only played 9% of the snaps, wasn't on the field very much, even though he came back from uh, injury, or from suspension, rather. The Jets have been going with Terrell Basham a lot this year. He got more more time on defense again this week. And Terrell Basham, you know, it was one of his quieter weeks, but he was still getting after it a little bit. It was all right. Even better the other side, Jordan Jenkins. He got a sack in this game. He had three quarterback hits, which led the team. I mean, Jordan Jenkins is the best New York Jets pass rusher. It's time for us to acknowledge him as that. Right now, he leads the team in sacks, and he missed two and a half games. You know, he only played... Two and a half games so far this year, and he leads the team in sacks. What does that tell you? He's a guy that consistently is leading the team in sacks. Now, he's not a 15, 16 sack guy, most likely, no. But 10, I think it's possible for him. When his contract is up, I think it's worth extending him for sure. I know Joe Douglas is a little bit new here, but I think he's going to start seeing Jordan Jenkins be that guy that's consistently getting after the quarterback. He's going to realize how important he is to this team, setting the edge as well. He's probably going to get an extension, hopefully before the year is over. Maybe we can save a little money. Laying didn't really get any snaps, but I think with Brandon Copeland back in the mix, I think that's a stronger unit than it's been, and definitely having Jordan Jenkins back is a huge deal for that. Inside linebacker, Blake Cashman played the majority of the snaps, played a pretty good game. He had that one uh, pass interference late on in the game at Ezekiel Elliott, but I think he's still playing well. He plays with speed. He covers pretty well. He had a quarterback hit in this game. He's a sure tackler for the most part, and he's a rookie. He's a fifth-round guy. We weren't expecting too much from him, and we weren't expecting him to be you know, starting. Right now, we weren't expecting Avery Williamson and 
C.J. Mosley to be down. He's been asked to play there, and he's honestly not been a huge liability, which you would expect a fifth-round rookie starting there thrown into the fire like that to kind of do. He's not struggling that much. Now, Neville Hewitt, he usually plays 100% of the snaps recently with C.J. Mosley out. He didn't in this week because he left with an injury for a bit. Albert McClellan, the guy we picked up to basically be a special teamer for us, had to fill in, you know, really thin at inside linebacker at this point. Then McClellan gets a, a concussion. He's out. Neville Hewitt comes back. So that's kind of what's going on there. I think Neville Hewitt's going to be all right. I mentioned earlier in this episode, so that's good. Still, Neville Hewitt gets picked on a little bit in coverage. He's not good at that. Teams are always looking. I think that Tom Brady, when we play him next week, is going to be really looking at trying to exploit Neville Hewitt if he's on the field. I would really like to get C.J. Mosley back for this one because it's kind of been a theme of this season is whoever Neville Hewitt's guarding, let's try to find a way to get that guy open. Let's try to do wheel routes to the running backs when he's covering. Let's try to find uh, the tight ends you know, on deep plays. The further downfield they can get, the harder it is for Neville Hewitt to keep up. But I've liked the way he's tackled. I like the way he's still getting after the quarterbacks. He had a quarterback hit in this game. And again, it's, it's you know how much can you expect from a guy who's slated to be a backup on your roster? Moving to the corners, mentioned that Nate Hairston has a sort of mysterious injury, was not suited up for this game. Trumaine Johnson again has to step into the field. He was again probably our worst cover cornerback in this game. Time and time again, he appears to be the guy that's getting targeted and picked on. He's letting guys get a step on him when he plays man. He uh, he usually gets beat on like any sort of deep middle or even shallow crossing route mesh plays he gets beat on those pretty easily looks like greg williams is trying to play some pretty simple defensive coverages with this unit uh he knows that he's outnumbered he's got daryl roberts and he's got trumaine johnson out there and his backup would be arthur mallet so he doesn't have a lot of options he knows he has good safety so he can mask it a little bit but at the end of the day it wasn't a horrible performance from trumaine johnson not as bad as we've seen he did have a couple nice plays and luckily the cowboys receivers bailed us out a bunch throughout this game dropping easy balls Daryl Roberts, he was bailed out same way. Michael Gallup was dropping passes, and uh, the receivers over there were just, they were struggling throughout the game without Amari Cooper being there. Definitely made the job easier for the cornerbacks, but it wasn't a horrible game for really any of the cornerbacks. None of the wide receivers specifically tore the Jets up. The most successful guy was Tavon Austin, had five catches for 64 yards. But other than that, you know, they had guys 57 yards, 48 yards, 47 yards, 46 yards. So it was five guys, really, that combined, and all of them had a decent game, not one really went off. It was just a, a mixture. Everybody played okay. Brian Poole played okay as well. At the end of the whole thing, we played Dak Prescott pretty well. We slowed down all the hype that was around him and showed the world that not only is he not worth $40 million, but as Greeny said on ESPN, Sam Darnold is a better quarterback. So then you want to talk about the safeties, and Marcus May and Jamal Adams are back and better than ever right now. They clearly played with more energy in this game than they've played with all year. Jamal Adams has been fired up all season, but he was on fire in this game. He was probably the best player on defense, led the team in tackles, had that game-winning play. He had some some really nice reads. He was getting after the, the players on fourth down. He made a stop. He was cleaning up on everything. Wherever the play was going, if it was a key play in this game, Jamal Adams was right there on the tackle over and over again. He was blitzing well. He was putting pressure on Dak Prescott. He was forcing the throws. He was, you know, he's not credited with any quarterback hits in this game, but I think he had, I think he had more than one. He was getting back there frequently, and it was just a really nice game from him. He's shown there's no question he should be a Pro Bowl safety in this NFL again. Easily one of the best at his position in the entire NFL. Makes big plays when he has to. That play at the end of the game, and that was like Troy Polamalu-esque. Just perfect timing, blitz right up the middle to just seal the game. Wow, when it matters most, he just harnesses it all and wins the thing. 
I mean, that, that play happened so fast. You can't give too much credit to too many players on that play. It was Marcus May bracketing Jason Witten, playing good coverage on him, and it was Jamal Adams getting up the middle. Now, the defensive linemen, a couple of them, you know, they, they had blocks making the lane for Jamal Adams, but Jamal Adams actually got through the hole before some of the linemen were even engaged with the offensive linemen, if you would believe that. He was that quick moving there, and Dak Prescott didn't have a second to throw. And honestly, after being down in the dumps for the first few weeks of the season, I think Jamal Adams has to be feeling pretty good about this game. Marcus May, we saw a great game from him too. He's playing really good in coverage. He's making a couple really nice plays. He's getting there. He's getting hits. And uh, he just he's a reliable guy. You remember when we didn't have Marcus May? Take you back really quick to when Daryl Roberts was playing safety and before Marcus May was drafted. How frequently the New York Jets were getting burned on deep plays. How like the game plan going against the Jets was, well, you can throw deep. Well, we don't have great cornerbacks, and you can beat Trumaine Johnson deep, and you can beat Daryl Roberts deep. But when Marcus May plays the type of coverage that he does in center field, it's really hard to do that, because as you throw the ball up, Marcus May gets there, and he's shown that time and time again this year. Almost had a pick earlier this season on the same sort of play. He's a very good player. He's playing well in coverage. I've said all year that I don't think he's tackling quite as well as he was before the injury, and maybe that's true, but I think I wasn't giving enough credit to exactly the impact he has on this defense. Exactly how much he helps us out. You know, we have a really bad, we don't have a pass rush really going right now. I know this game, we had a ton of hits on Dak Prescott, but we're not getting a lot of sacks. We're not getting after the quarterback all that frequently, aside from this game. We know that we don't have good cornerbacks. So why aren't we getting dominated by big plays time and time again? If he's got time to throw back there, any quarterback that we play against, we've got Trumaine Johnson in coverage. You basically can't cover anybody all season long. You know, who's that credit to? It goes to those safeties who are doing the extra work. And Marcus May gets hidden stats as he's covering over and finding guys shading towards the side. Quarterbacks know. They look at the film and they see that he's frequently in the right position and he's there to make the play. And it may look like a guy's open on the side, but if that ball takes four or five seconds in the air to get there, Marcus May's closing in just as quick. So you got to be careful for him. Really happy with Marcus May and what he's doing. So happy that he's back healthy on the field this year. It appears that the injuries are truly behind him. He's played 100% of snaps in every game this year, and he's as healthy as he's ever been. So before I close it out, I'm just going to go to special teams really quick. The big deal in this one is Sam Ficken. We didn't have a kicker. It was a huge deal. We were going through guys like crazy. Kerry Vedvik didn't work out. It was a mess, and we didn't know if we were ever going to find a guy who could kick in a good game for us. Sam Ficken has been great. He had one bad kick, but he's made his extra points, which... You know, I know he's when he makes his extra points. Remember that in week one, we would kill to have a guy that could make his extra points. Just being like, oh my gosh, this is a guy that can go out and make an extra point. Remember how much everybody cheered when we finally made one? So just host tryouts and find this unknown dude, Sam Ficken, that we're thinking to ourselves, this is just another one of those guys. And maybe in a couple weeks, he'll start struggling and he'll be off this team because he still hasn't proven a ton. But when you go for three for three on extra points and you kick a big time field goal in a pressure spot late in the game in the fourth quarter, it's a really good job. You got to be happy with what you saw from Sam Ficken. Return game. The kick return games were all right. It was Vincent Smith. Nothing too crazy there. Punt return game. That's what I'm really impressed with. Braxton Berrios is actually earning my trust as a punt return man, which is almost impossible to do as a rookie. I'm truly under the belief that rookies should not be returning punts because no matter what, when a rookie returns punts, they muff the ball, they fumble it, they make mental mistakes, they drop it. The moment gets too big, and it ends up costing you. A turnover on a fumbled punt is one of the worst things that can happen. Because your defense just stopped the offense, you've earned the ball back, the ball's getting booted through the air 50 yards in the wrong direction, 
and now you're dropping it, they're picking it up, and they're 50 yards closer from wherever they were to scoring a touchdown or at least getting points. It's terrible and ruins games. Braxton Berrios has been an outlier. He's a rookie that's proven he can do the job. It's not too big for him. And he had a couple nice returns in this game too. 11-yarder, a 12-yarder. I always think if you can get an 8-9 to yard average on a return for when you return them and don't fair catch them, that's pretty solid, and I'll take that any day. It's just gained yardage. You don't have to take them to the house like Andre Roberts was explosive and fun to watch last year. You don't have to do that to be a good return man. You have to catch the ball cleanly. You have to move upfield. You can't be one of these JoJo Nats who tries to run backwards first. And then you end up losing 12 yards on a punt return. It's like, what? Well, that's not helpful at all. you got to know where to catch the ball, catch it cleanly, and move forward when you catch it. As many yards as you can get. As many yards as the special teams is giving you. And that's what Braxton Berrios has done. It's only been five games. There's still opportunity for things to happen. But in reality, going into this thing, I trust him. I don't know if I would have trusted Greg Dortch this much. There's a very good chance that if he played, he would have made a mistake. You remember Trenton Cannon getting back there, kick returns, fumble return, or punt returns? <laughs> they were fumble returns. I mean, that guy couldn't do anything rookie year, preseason, and in the season. So, very happy with what I'm seeing from Braxton Berrios. I trust that guy. Glad to have him as our punt returner. Last guy, Locke Edwards. Nothing too crazy to write home about. He didn't get blocked, didn't have any shanks. Nothing too beautiful in this game. He had one inside the 20 that was all right. Could have kicked it a little deeper, but it was a solid game from an average punter. So that is our player performances of the game. So now really quick, I just want to hand out a couple of awards. The stars of the game from offense, defense, and special teams. I think offense, there's nobody else to give it to other than Sam Darnold. He played great. 113 quarterback rating. Didn't show any signs of rust. Got on a chemistry rhythm with these guys right away moved in the pocket, and basically masked all the things that we'd seen go wrong with the coaching, with the game plan, with the offensive line, the receivers, everything, you name it. He made it all look better. Sam Darnold's the offensive player of the game. Defensively, when a guy like Jamal Adams comes on the field, wins the game for you like that, and is all over it on the crucial plays, the third downs and the fourth downs, making stops, he deserves player of the game. Jamal Adams gets it in this one. And the star of the game for special teams is that guy we just talked about, Sam Ficken. Because we didn't think we had a guy that could do this. We didn't. We weren't sure if we'd find one. And it looks like, at least so far, we have. And he didn't cost us in this game. He helped us. He did a good job, and the Jets won this game by two points. Had he missed that field goal, it could have been a loss. So good job, Sam Ficken. Happy to have him back there kicking. Okay, so the next order of business. I know. Everybody wants to know, what did Dave Burnham think about this game? Well, I'll tell you. Because this week we got a father time. My dad, David Burnham, every week gives us a little uh, little taste of what he's thinking about what happened. And obviously after a huge New York Jets win over Dallas, it's probably going to be pretty darn good. So let's see what Dave Burnham says. Here we go. By David Burnham. The Jets played a physical game against the Cowboys. What fun now my voice is finally back. This is the first complimentary football that the Jets have played all season. Everybody pulled their weight. Ficker the kicker made all of his extra points and a critical field goal in the second half. Rookie Braxton Berrios flashed, and no major mistakes. And thankfully, Demarius Thomas didn't lose that onside kick at the end of the game. Talking about the defense, they played strong across the board. The list is way too long to go through because everybody contributed. But a side note, rookie Quinn and Williams handled all pro Zach Martin extremely well. Looking at the offense, Sam is back and better than ever. Spread the ball around. Even Ryan Griffin scored a touchdown. The Cowboys came out to stop Bell. Big mistake. 
The highlight, it's new life. Looking at the O-line, Lewis looks like an upgrade to Osemele, who's now on IR, a possible depth issue down the road. But both tackles played out of position. Chuma Adogal played right tackle. Keep in mind he was a natural left all four years at USC, and Brandon Shell played left tackle. He's always been a right tackle. And they kept Demarcus Lawrence to two assisted tackles. That's it. Robert Quinn had two sacks, but that was it for the Cowboys. Remember 10 from Philadelphia? If the Jets' line can continue to look as they did against Dallas, Sam and the receivers will prosper, and that will open up Bell and Robbie Deep. Look out. Looking ahead, Bill Belichick will be spending a few extra hours at the office this week. The Pats are in for a dogfight at MetLife Stadium, and the Dallas Cowboys are in the trainer's room right after a whooping. Think about Tom Brady taking all those hits Dak Prescott just took. Three-point game on Monday night. Go Jets. What? End excerpt. Three-point game on Monday night. Dad Burnham is getting super excited for this one. And you know what? I can't blame him. He's absolutely spot on with all this stuff. Again, optimistic from Dave Burnham. I am loving what I'm hearing. He's talking about all the big things. He's talking about what the defense did. A long list of guys. He's talking about the offensive line. Players filling in for each other. Playing good. He's talking about the weapons. Complimentary football. Everybody getting involved. Special teams going well. When you look at how the Jets played against the Cowboys, you got to think to yourself, if they play a team like the Patriots, they could do a little damage. And he's right. Bill Belichick spending a few extra hours at the office this week. I love that. Definitely is. Dak Prescott was getting obliterated. I mean, he was literally, he's probably bruised up and down. Imagine Tom Brady taking those hits. Like Dad said. Ooh, they got to be a little nervous. No, we don't have the best pass rush in the world. Yes, it, Tom Brady's the the king of a two-step drop. Just one, two, throw. Two seconds holding onto the ball, and it's out. It's hard to get to him. But if we can play decent cover, I mean, if there's anything the Jets can do, it's cover for a short amount of time, better than long amounts of time. We're better covering for one second. And Tom Brady's, he's not the same Tom Brady we've seen before. I think this is the first year that I, I mean, I'm going to kind of roll this into a Patriots preview right now because my dad set it up very nicely for that. Thank you for the father time, Dad. When you look at the Patriots and Tom Brady, this is the first time that I've really seen Tom Brady allowing himself to just not make big plays and just dirt in the ball. A lot of plays this year, when he feels like he's getting pressured and he feels like he's about to get hit, he's choosing just to throw the ball out of bounds, throw it down, take an intentional grounding even we've seen. He's not trying to take hits. He's not extending plays. He's not really looking to go deep. What he's looking to do is dump the ball to the running backs, throw short timing passes to his receivers, and get the ball out of his hands quickly without getting hit. For the first time, I'm seeing him, instead of standing in the pocket and you know maybe taking a hit to make a nice throw, he's not even bothering. He's throwing it down. It looks like he's finally worried about getting his body injured. And yeah, he's like 40-whatever years old. and oh, You can't blame the guy. He's got to extend his career. But he didn't used to do that nearly as much as he does now. He'll just give up on plays and say, let's get it back to the defense and let them do a good job. And when you look at that, they don't have great weapons. They have... You know, decent receivers. Julian Edelman's, you know, he's good because Tom Brady makes him good and sets him up. But they're not getting yards after the catch, really, because Tom Brady, as we know, likes to throw the ball down, let Edelman catch it sliding down so he doesn't get hit. But keep in mind, when you do that, you're not really allowing the play to extend and get yards after catch. You're not picking up big chunk plays very often. You're just picking up six, seven, eight yards at a time. Now, if you can make it uncomfortable in the backfield, he doesn't have a bunch of options that are really going to gouge you too often. He doesn't have that Robbie Anderson threat that's just going to crush you deep. You know, Philip Dorsett... He's a solid player. Josh Gordon, he's not anywhere near what he was those early seasons with the Browns. He's all right. Running backs, got guys like Rex Burkhead, J. 
James White, Sony Michelle. They're all somewhat dangerous, but they're not take it to the house dangerous. Other than like maybe James White on a wheel route against Neville Hewitt is extremely dangerous. But other than that, they're tight ends. They don't have a Gronkowski. They don't have the weapons that really scare you. And they've been relying on their defense basically all season. It took forever before they gave up an offensive touchdown. They're shutting teams down. Everybody's saying this is one of the best defensives they've seen in a long time. Everybody's playing perfect. I want to remind you really quick who these Patriots have played. The Pittsburgh Steelers, who have, what, two wins and are struggling. The Miami Dolphins, the worst offense in the entire league. The Jets with Luke Falk, the other worst offense that we'd seen in the entire league. The Bills, who are great because they have a great defense, not a good offense. The Redskins, who are one of the worst offenses in the entire league. Then the Giants, a rookie quarterback without any receivers or weapons playing, no running backs, one of the worst offenses in the entire league. And everyone's talking about how great this Patriots defense is. You know what? If we played the Dolphins, the Redskins, the Giants, we'd have a great-looking defense too. It'd be one of the top in the league. Wait until later on when they have to play Sam Darnold. They have to play, you know, even the Browns and Baker Mayfield are more dangerous. Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, the Eagles, they have to play the Cowboys, the Texans, the Chiefs, the Bills again. They have a lot of tough games ahead of them, and that defense is not going to hold up nearly as well as it is right now. We can talk about how great it is right now because it's a killer stretch for them. But it does not stay like this. It is not that dominant. And this team is going to have issues in the playoffs. Maybe they'll go undefeated. Maybe they'll be close to it, 14-2, and 16-0, who knows. I don't know if they have the gas to go the distance. I think that Tom Brady's slowing down just a little bit. Their weapons aren't quite as strong as they used to be. And the defense right now is kind of overrated. Yeah, I'm in that camp of an overrated Patriots defense that's played abysmal talent all season. But Sam Darnold's going to be the best offense they've seen all year long. It will be the best offense they've faced. Sam Darnold, Le'Veon Bell, Robbie Anderson, and Crowder. If we can get Herndon back, they better watch out. Their old friend Demarius Thomas is on our team too. Better watch out for him. I think the Jets can win this game. I think it's possible. And if they do then we're going to be talking about a possible playoff run because then you're looking at like Jaguars, Redskins, Dolphins type games coming up. Very winnable stuff where you can go on a streak. If you can beat the Patriots, they are the hardest team we play play for the rest of this season. Hands down. It's not going to be easy, but this is our home game. This is the one at MetLife. And it sucks because it's Monday Night Football. We always play bad on Monday Night Football. Primetime games just suck. They always do. But if there's a way, if we can harness one and beat the Patriots in this game, It's going to do wonders for this team's confidence, for the fans' confidence, for our whole season moving forward, for the outlook of what we've got, for the coaching staff outlook, for everything. And it's not that far away because we have enough weapons now, and Sam Darnold will find them all. And our offensive line, they're having issues, but Sam's moving in the pocket well and seeing things better than he ever has before. And defensively, we're finding great depth on that defensive line. If we can get our linebackers back, C.J. Mosley, the last one to add into that mix... We already got Jordan Jenkins and Copeland back. We got killer safeties playing really good football. And if they can help mask the cornerbacks just a little bit, it's going to be about jamming the receivers, getting after Brady as quick as you can. This team is not set to get after Brady because we don't have fast pass rushers. We have slow, you know, squish the pocket around you. But if Brady stands back there, maybe we can make him a little bit uncomfortable, close it in on him, get some sacks. Maybe we can make him dirt the ball a few times, give up on some drives, get a couple nice plays, run the ball down their throat if they're not going to stop Le'Veon Bell. Bill Belichick likes to take two things away. If I were him in this game, I would say it's got to be either Robbie Anderson's deep ball and Le'Veon Bell, 
or maybe Le'Veon Bell and Jamison Crowder's short, quick timing passes. Take two of those. The other one's going to be tough. You can put Gilmore on Crowder. Robbie Anderson's going to burn whoever's on the other side. You can put Gilmore on Robbie Anderson. Let him run with him all game long. Hopefully he doesn't ever get burned, because if Robbie Anderson gets that step, Gilmore's not catching up, and Sam's putting it right on the money. Then Jameson Crowder's going to be having a field day, because we know how much he likes him. Sam Darnold's got a great rhythm with Jameson Crowder, and Crowder's playing well for us. So I think there's definitely opportunity for the Jets to come out playing this game well. I'm going to be confident in this game. I'm going to say, ah, I can't do it. I can't say they're going to win this one. I really, just Monday Night Football against this team. The Patriots are playing way too well. They're 6-0. and You know, we played great against the Dallas Cowboys, but let's not let it get to our heads too, too much and just say we're now able to beat anybody. No, we're what we wanted to be. We're what should be a 10-6, and 11-5 team, you know, if everybody's healthy all season long, possibly. At least we showed glimpses of that level of play. Now, even an 11-5, and 10-6 and six type team still likely loses to the Patriots. But I am going to side with my dad on this one and say the New York Jets lose this game by three points. I'm going to say the total in this game, 30-27. to 27. New England Patriots win, but New York Jets fans feel absolutely amazing about what they just saw, and they feel like, you know, they... At this point, if we lose by three points, 30-27, to 27, the fans are like, oh, this one play, if they the refs got this wrong, or if we made this one kick, or that ball wasn't dropped, it would have been a win. We make our excuses for what play we decided lost it for us. But we're going to be feeling like we're that close to getting there. And maybe we'll be 1-5 after this game. Maybe. I still would love to see this team go on a run. I still think that Sam Darnold is capable of bringing us there. And I think Adam Gase's play calling was really good in this game. I didn't touch on that in this. Adam Gase's play calling was really good. You can say what you want about what he did with Luke Falk in there. Maybe he gave up. Maybe he burned Le'Veon Bell too much. Maybe we didn't have any sort of creativity at all to try to get the offense moving. And that sucks because we got obliterated on offense in those games. But in this game, we were creative just enough. We trusted in Sam Darnold, and we were aggressive late in the game, throwing the ball pretty deep late in the fourth quarter. I think that if you were able to mask the offensive line deficiencies, and you got to be happy about that. And then Greg Williams being aggressive late in the game, not going into that prevent thing, just saying, all right, let's just let the Cowboys run down the field on us and play prevent. No, he was still going after it. He was still doing everything that he could to make Dak Prescott uncomfortable, and it worked. Let's hope we can do that against Tom Brady. Let's hope we can crush the New England Patriots on Monday Night Football. It's the biggest, most exciting. There is no higher the Jets could be other than making the playoffs this season than where we are right now after having Sam Darnold come back and beating the Cowboys to where we'll be if we can beat the Patriots, go on a two-game winning streak with Sam Darnold coming back. That is like as high as this team can get. That's the, the highlight of this season if this happens. Like I said, other than a playoff win or playoff berth. So let's see if we can get there. Let's keep chasing that dragon. Let's knock those Patriots down a step and let's go. New York Jets. Thank you for joining me on this episode. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. You know I got plenty more to say. It's all going to be on there. I'm Dan Burnham, and the Jet Life just got a whole heck of a lot better. (laughs) 